This is episode 192 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing Women's Camp 2016. This is a workshop with Janet Hafner. Okay, um, I am here to um, talk to you about going through changes, um, specifically in ministry. Um, but I had to come up with my little blurb like a long time ago. So it has segued slightly different. So if you have these grand expectations, get over it. <laughs> um, I am, I'm going to share what the Lord has laid on my heart and what I've been going through recently. And, and so it's a little bit more even just about how to minister together and how to um, work together um, in the midst of um, issues and frustrations and that sort of thing, but it also can be applied to transitioning ministry and um, how that works as you're handing off the baton or you're grasping the baton, and just how unfortunately our egos and sin nature can very much get in the way of that, and um, and Satan just really, really enjoys seeing us um, struggle through that. So I'd like to open in prayer. Um, this is actually going to be fairly heartfelt for me, so I might have a, have a difficult time. So if you can't hear what I'm saying, you don't want to hear what I'm saying, just sit there and pray for me. <laughs> All right. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this beautiful day that you have created, and I thank you for these ladies that um, are willing to come in um, and hear what it is that you laid on my heart and the things that you have been doing in my life recently. And I just thank you for each lady represented here and just all the ministries that they have been involved in in the past that they will be in the future and how you desire so much for us to work together in unity and peacefully and i just thank you for the way that you gently and sometimes not so gently <laughs> work us through those things and you um, bring us into um, more christ-like um, character and behavior in jesus name amen so it is called um, As You Go Through Changes, and As You Go Through Changes looks very different in each stage of our lives, and it looks different for each of us as distinct individuals. We often have somewhat defined levels of going that we minister uniquely as we transition from stage to stage and age to age in our life. When we are young and have more physical energy, we tend to be involved in more active ministries, short-term mission trips, youth ministry, etc. When we have small children, we often become involved in children's ministry of some sort. We take on various ministries according to the time and energy we have at our current stage in life. I'm not going to speak generally about um, areas of ministry um, for women, but share more specifically about how it is that we move on because of these aforementioned stages. Regardless, we need to invite and invest in those around us in whatever stage and age we find ourselves in at the moment. To be fair, and I always try to be fair, I must say I will probably offend someone at some point in this workshop. I have a tendency to be brutally honest, not only about my own failures and inadequacy, but I'll probably mention a few of your own <laughs> as we go through this and hopefully bring the convicting light of scripture to bear on it. Besides all that, a bit later we'll talk about how you shouldn't be so easily offended to begin with. <laughs> I'll start by sharing a little bit of myself. I was born into a family preparing for full-time ministry. My father was headed to seminary, and upon graduation, he took a job as a Bible college professor, which worked its way into pastoring, which then led to interim pastoring through much of my middle school and some high school years. 
Somewhere along the way, unfortunately, I developed a deep dislike of being in a pastoral family. Things I observed and experienced left a very bad impression upon me. I determined I would never be a pastor's wife. <laughs> I haven't got there yet. <laughs> in my past experience, Christians were some of the most pretentious, judgmental, and unkind people I had ever known. And obviously, some of you have read the workshop blurb because you already know I am married to a pastor, and we have been in pastoral ministry for almost 30 years. But I didn't marry a pastor. I made sure my future spouse had no interest in pastoring. Sure enough, when I asked him, nada. No interest at all, he said. He owned his own construction company at the time. But a few years later, we were pursuing what we thought was God's call to the mission field with Wycliffe Bible Translators. Going to the mission field, that was okay. But I'm not going to be a pastor's wife. I'm going to interrupt here, and I'm going to take a little bit of a rabbit trail. Have you ever said to God, I want to serve you, but don't ever ask me to do so-and-so? Or, I will never do that. I mentioned that the Apostle Paul despised the Gentiles. And yet, who did God ultimately call him to minister to? I had determined that I did not want to be a pastor's wife. It often seems whatever we don't want to do, that is the very thing God is wanting from us. I would venture a guess that the reason behind that is not that God wants to force us into something we hate, but that Satan is so fully against God's plans that he has and will continue to do all that he can to turn our hearts against God's will and desire for our life. Satan bitterly opposes the will of God. God says his desire and plan for me is to be a pastor's wife. Satan's plans were to do all that he could to interfere in my life with situations and circumstances that would draw me into setting my heart against the very thing God had prepared for me to do. So as you look at the things that are in your life and you say, I, I don't want to do that, God, it's not that God's trying to be a bully and he's trying to, it's that Satan is at this point quite likely having the victory in your life and keeping you from the thing that God had predetermined from time and eternity. So, instead of going into the mission field, we ended up on the pastorate. I know, that's news. Somebody hasn't been paying attention. <laughs> that was a major transition of ministry, and I must admit I did not handle it very well in the beginning, for sure. I went, but like the story of a little child who was told to sit down and kept stubbornly refusing, when they finally sat down, they boldly stated, I may be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I am standing up. <laughs> Over time, in the grace of God and dealing with me gently, I came to the place where I more fully stepped into the role of pastor's wife. Over these 30 years of ministry, I have been involved in about every aspect of ministry a woman could be involved in within the church, 
I organized BBS, taught Sunday school and women's Bible studies. I was on the worship team. I organized fellowships, sang in the choir, did nursery duty, managed the church library, oversaw a monthly outreach meal, planned and organized the church landscaping, designed a scheme and decorated the church building every Christmas, led the women's ministry team, spoke at women's events, served in Awana, wrote Bible study curriculum, sang solos. Uh, hosted the church Christmas reception, administered the church's Christian school, did secretarial work, and so on. I even played the piano at one point. Well, I would really call it that. I courted through the... <laughs> they were seriously desperate, but all pastors' wives are supposed to know how to play the piano. Don't you know that? <laughs> I did not do all of these things at one time, but it speaks to the breadth of involvement and how vastly different it was at different times in my life. But the point is, I don't do very many of them at all anymore. Others have stepped into those roles for various reasons. There has been some narrowing of focus of my giftings and abilities to be used more fully, but foremost among that is I just don't have the energy to do all that I used to do. I have transitioned I put that in quotes, through so many areas of ministry in my life. And some of those transitions, they were fluid, they were easy, and some were not quite so easy. I must admit in hindsight that as the one going into a new area of ministry, most often I didn't take notice or pay attention to the feelings of those who had gone before me. I was fairly oblivious in my enthusiasm to bring new life and energy to this dying ministry. I'm sure that I did an awful lot of steamrolling over others without even a thought as to the possibility that they were not wholeheartedly appreciating all that I was bringing to the table. These last two years, I've been a participant in a passing of the torch of ministry from one woman to another. I have been the newcomer, receiving the long-standing ministry position of someone who has been faithful and very successful at her task for 19 years. This is a situation where this woman has loved her ministry, but she needs to step down because of ongoing health issues. I have been given permission by her to share a little bit about the difficulty for both of us to move smoothly through this transition. Now, as I tell this story, to many of you, it will probably seem like, what is the big deal? That doesn't sound that difficult. That's okay. Many of us think the same thing about the things you whine about. <laughs> we all have our hot buttons that trigger deep-seated things that we might not even be aware of and why we're so upset about it. To begin with, the format of the handoff was a really bad idea. It was designed to be a two-year process. I would come to her as her assistant the first summer so that she could show me the ropes, she could train me, and then she would return for one last summer as my assistant to make sure I had it down. So a year ago, I showed up at Camp Elkanna, our CB camp in Eastern Oregon near the Grand, to be the assistant cook under Mama T, who had, as I have said, been doing this job for 19 years. Now a little background about myself. I have been cooking for large groups for over 30 years. I had my own catering business for many years. I had cooked many times at Elkanna and a few times even at Tadmore throughout the years as a cook for weekend retreats. Six and seven years ago, I was the assistant cook here at Tadmore for a summer and the head cook the following year, often cooking for 300 or more people. I had owned my own tea room business for five years. I made gourmet cheesecakes and truffles. 
And if you do well at Bumble, you might get some. <laughs> so, instead, oops. so all of this to say, I was not a newcomer to food service. So I'm coming in expecting to be on somewhat equal terms in knowledge and skill with Mama T. I would also like to preface that Mama T is a wonderful person, and outside of the kitchen, we got along great. <laughs> Having done this job for 19 years, Mama T had a very, very ingrained routine. Her menu has been the same for probably at least the last 10 years, which means that on this day, you always do this, and on that day, at this time, you always do that. That's all well and good. But she also had very distinct ideas about how things should be done. And during the process of the first few weeks, I found myself very depressed and second-guessing myself at every turn. I'm a fairly assertive, confident person. Thank you for not laughing. And over that time period, I had been worn to a frazzle. No matter what I was doing, she had a better way of doing it. If I was cutting or slicing an onion, can I show you a better way to do that? How many onions have I cut up in my lifetime? It's going to end up looking the same. We're good. She had a trick and technique for everything. If you're making French toast, and this is going to be valuable information, if you place a full sheet pan on a cart, and on top of that, you place your six inch half steam pan for your egg mixture, and behind that, you place your loaves of bread. Hanging on the cart handle is a wet hand towel to wipe your hands off. Perfect. All a very sensible way to set up. But then I am told, see this little corner here where the sheet pan and the top rim of the cart don't quite mix, mix match? That's where you stick the little plastic clip off your bread bag. I took a picture of it. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, that's all well and good too. But for everything she did, she had a deliberate form and function. That wears a body out, let me tell you. Um, so there is no way anyone's going to remember every single one of these things. That was just impossible. So I had before me this impossible task. I found I was always asking myself, is this how she did it? Is this how she would do it if it was something we hadn't done yet? Never feeling allowed to make reasonable choices for myself. There were even times I thought to myself, this makes sense to do it in such and such a way, but Mama T said, for example, when setting up the salad bar at one point, I thought, it would be better to have only one tongue in these smaller salad bar containers, but Mama T says to have one for each side of the line. So I placed two tongs in each container because that is how Mama T would want it. Or so I thought. A few minutes later, Mama T comes into the kitchen and says, ah, I took one of the tongs out of each of the smaller containers. There wasn't enough room. <laughs> it seemed no matter what choice I made, it wasn't the right one. So near the end of camp, I was making some bar cookies, and this is my favorite story, and I really just have to tell it because it's my favorite story. And she had made them every week prior to this, and so I was going to do it so that I have made every recipe that she has. And Mama T was helping me, and I am getting ready to pour the corn syrup into a container on top of the scale, and she says, 
you need 13 ounces. I will never forget, you need 13 ounces for this recipe. I will never forget that. <laughs> At which point, she takes her finger and touches the scale at the zero mark, and as it rises, she follows the arrow with her finger up to 13 ounces. And you know, as you're pouring a big container of something semi-liquid, you can start fairly rapidly, and as you get near the end, you've gotta draw back a little and let it go slower. So I'm drawing it up a little bit, and she's, oh, no, 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 you need a little bit more. The thing is, <laughs> I made three pans of these things, and she did the exact same time, thing each time that I measured the corn syrup. Tracing the needle, and no, 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 you need just a little bit more. <laughs> Some of you might find this hilarious, <laughs> but I have never felt like slapping someone as much as I have. I said, I felt like turning, a woman, I know how to measure corn syrup. Thank you. I did not say that, though, because I am a kind and gracious person. <laughs> this all had the effect of making me feel stupid and dread coming to the kitchen every day. As we were almost finished with camp that year, I met with the camp director and assistant, and I said, I don't think I'm your gal. This last week, Mama T and I traded roles, and she was to be my assistant, and I was to be the head cook, and each day, as the day progressed, she would slip back into making the decisions or overriding however I wanted to organize the day. I cannot see myself coming back next year with her as my assistant and it working out well at all. It would be crazy, a stupid, crazy person <laughs> would purposely put themselves into the cauldron like this. So being the godly men that they are, they sat us down together and we talked things through. <laughs> and I will share that conversation later. <laughs> so when spring rolls around this year, I sent an email to Tyler, the camp director, if it's okay with you, why can't Mama T just be in charge again? One last time and I'll be her assistant. It seemed like the path of least resistance and all I could see was stress upon stress with the planned scenario. His answer came back, no thank you. <laughs> I would like you in charge. I will say, I prayed some about the summer. I asked friends to pray, but mostly I imagined everything that could go wrong and just how awful it was going to be trying to work together. And awful it was. During her tenure, Mama T had refused to use the salad bar cart with a sneeze guard that the camp owned. She preferred to use wet refrigerated towels laid across the table with a salad bar container set on top of them, which I did as she wanted, even though I was in charge of prepping and setting up the salad bar that first year. At the end of last year, during my week of being head cook, we used the salad bar cart, and I told her that we would be using it the next year. She obviously didn't feel it was necessary, and I said, I think the health department preferred that we use it if we have it. <laughs> she agreed to disagree. So this year, as I rolled out the salad bar card, and she began to remind me that she didn't like it. <laughs> don't you want to know why I don't like it? No, I very politely said. <laughs> we talked about this last year, and we should not even be having this conversation. Somehow, this caused tension in our relationship. <laughs> we began to feel like we were trudging through a minefield. Everything either one of us said was sifted through for double meanings and offense, and the burden became very heavy. 
Matthew 11, 28, 30 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All you weary. Any of you fit that category? A yoke does not eliminate a task, but it does make it easier to get the job done. A well-designed yoke allows the user to work at maximum capacity and efficiency. It harnesses two together to work in tandem, but there is always a dominant or lead animal within the pair. We can take this analogy to look at our relationship with Christ. He should be the leader, the one shouldering the greater part of the load, giving direction and training us, training us about burden-bearing, to be gentle and lowly of heart. We are often weary because we are trying to do the heavy lifting and not allowing God to resolve things and trust him to lead us where he wants us to go. We are pulling and straining against the yoke, trying to go our own direction and take the lead. We often have a very difficult time staying in rhythm with what God is wanting to do. Galatians 5, 25 to 26 says, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And this is just so random that this verse goes on to say, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. <laughs> Author Robin Jones Gunn states it this way, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So I'm going to take some time here, and I'm going to contrast taking offense with its opposite response of giving grace. I'm going to use an acronym for grace that might help us in applying this to our lives. So grace, the word grace, it's gonna be a shocker if it starts with the letter G. And so G stands for, Holly, what's it stand for? It stands for, get over yourself. <laughs> Having hurt feelings and being easily offended is almost always a result of being too preoccupied with self. No one liked my ideas. She was curt with me. They hardly talked to me. He didn't even thank me. No one ever asked for my opinion. Why wasn't I considered for the position? Nobody paid any attention to me. What is your motivation in ministry? Is it really service to God? <laughs> Author Tim Keller says, unless you believe and live by the gospel, everything you do will be driven by either pride or fear. Fear of failure, not being appreciated, not being liked, that we're not really needed, we don't have value, I have nothing to offer, or pride, I have got this, I am that good. I am so desperately needed here. It cannot be accomplished without me. I am more valuable than the next person. Neither one is a godly motivation. There is no humility in either one. 
Grace is one of the most important aspects of relationship, of ministering and transitioning from ministry to ministry. Receiving and extending grace are paramount to unity and effectiveness of ministry. Are you more interested in affirmation, in kudos, admiration, acknowledgement, or are you interested in glorifying Christ? I really don't mind you being a success at this, but I certainly don't want you to be more of a success at it than I ever was. I'm sure none of you have ever thought that. We seem to be able to weep with those who weep, but not so easily rejoice with those who rejoice with their successes. Often the reason we feel offended is because someone else is getting recognition and we are not. Sometimes, what seems to be a major offense is simply a reflection of a different personality, upbringing, cultural background, or lifestyle. Remind yourself that he or she may not be coming from the same perspective, perspective as you. Don't assume the worst. R stands for respect the ideas and giftings of others. It's not wrong, it's just different. Romans 12, 6 says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Ephesians 4, 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ. It's hard to become offended if you are esteeming others better than yourself and valuing what they have to offer. At one point, Mama T stated that she felt that I was struggling because I thought she was such a better cook than me. I tried really hard not to laugh out loud <laughs> because that thought had never entered my mind. I had come in thinking I was a better cook than her. And she obviously thought she was a better cook than me. And therein lies the rub. That was the tension and friction with both of us trying to prove our value and worth and giving no credence to the abilities and know-how of each other. Once again, we as humans think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Another realization that I came to was that I had not considered the depth of emotional feelings of Mama T that she was experiencing over having to let go of this ministry that she loved so much. Dealing with that realization that the best you have ever been at gardening, at singing, at cooking, at teaching, or any other areas of ministry, that it is in the past, and you will probably never be involved with it again. It is a sort of grieving that takes place, and having to watch someone come in and do it a bit differently, we mourn the loss and have difficulty moving on. I was trying to honor that sentiment, but I wasn't doing very well. Give people room and time to grieve the loss of dreams and aspirations that have come to an end. In order to do that, I suggested we make a commemorative book of Mama T's years at Camp Volcana and include some of her famous recipes. She loved it. And I was able to sincerely sign the picture of the two of us together to the best camp cook ever because she truly is the best at what she did. A is for assume an attitude of humility and prayer. During the weekend of primary camp, which was near the beginning of camp, this, 
this summer. Mama T's husband and daughter were coming for the, from the west side. That's y'all over here. You're the west side to us over in Eastern Oregon. Um, to bring her granddaughter and a friend to camp. And since it was such a long drive, they were going to be staying over um, at the camp because it was just primary camp, it's just a weekend. So during the previous year, each of them had come at some point, but never at the same time. And they both spent most of their time sitting in the kitchen. It was the same weekend that a friend of mine was coming to help me in the kitchen. So that would be five of us for four chairs around the table and lots of distraction as we were trying to work. That was bugging me enough trying to figure out how to deal with that. And then I found out upon their arrival that the other granddaughter and a friend were staying at camp as well in order to go to junior camp, which was next on the calendar. I'm telling you, it was ridiculous how stressed I was about this. Because the youngest girls also wanted to be able to hang out in the kitchen. <laughs> and when I talked to the directors, it was, well, they have in the past, and it's a bit hard to back out now. So I did pray about it, how to resolve this influx of people. And when the younger girls came in later and asked what was for lunch the next day, I said, dino nuggets, which are chicken nuggets shaped like dinosaurs. <laughs> anyway, and I asked if they would like to pan them. They were very excited to do it. Now at this point, my opinion of myself was, woohoo, you are just so gracious. <laughs> I figured out a way to have purpose in their being in the kitchen, but I was still dreading the many hours in the day that were yet to come. And at about 9 o'clock that evening, I got a call on my radio that I had a phone call. And they said, oh, no, never mind. It's for Mama T. The other cook. <laughs> I thought nothing more about it and went to bed, continued to ask why God was making things even more difficult than they had been. Little did I know that that 9 o'clock time period, the camp directors were meeting together and praying about the situation. And when the phone call came for Mama T, it was a friend of the family's that was wondering if the daughter and granddaughter and her friend wanted to go fishing all day the next day. Which I found out about later, when Mama T's husband didn't come in and sit in the kitchen as usual, but was sitting at the table in the dining hall. Did someone talk to them about not hanging out in the kitchen? Oh no, didn't you hear? They're gone all day. Somebody's taking them fishing. They're not even going to be around. I had been struggling to force grace into action, or at the very least appear gracious, and it was agonizing. True grace is unforced. It flows from humility by submitting to and trusting God to work in a situation, realizing that God wants to accomplish something in and for you in this circumstance. Besides, all grace is God's grace. You, me, we cannot manufacture grace. We cannot be gracious in and of ourselves. It has to be an outflowing of God's grace that he's imparted to us. So I had overburdened myself by not letting Jesus shoulder the load, and he lifted that burden and made the load so much lighter that day, beyond what I even deserved. C is for communicate with gentleness and love. Communication is key behind humility. We make assumptions that veer us so far off course from what is meant or needing to be dealt with. One morning, Mama T put the bacon in the oven, and I was busy doing some other tasks, and then she moved on to another task while it was baking. I was finished with mine, came around the corner, and thought, hmm, smells like the bacon's done. Took the bacon out, set the pan on the counter, and Mama T shows up at my side here and says, she said, you want me to pan this? 
A slight pause. I like my baby hook longer. I heard, you think this is ready to pan? I think it needs to cook longer. I don't think you know what you're doing. She meant, do you want me to pan, put this in the pan or do you want to? Whose job is this? I started it, do you want me to finish it? It had nothing to do with over here. Don't assume the worst. Okay, speaking of communication, I'll back up now and I'll talk about the meeting we had with the camp directors and talking about how we felt about the first summer. I confess that I felt like Mama T had no confidence in my abilities and that she micromanaged everything and that I never did anything right. One of the camp directors wisely asked, Janet, what is your primary love language? I said, words of affirmation. <laughs> Mama T, she used a lot of words, but not once did she affirm me, praise me, acknowledge my abilities and what I was doing right. I only heard what I wasn't doing right constantly, and I was feeling shut down. Then the camp director asked, Mama T, what is your primary love language? Physical touch. I'm a hugger. We all laughed out loud because if you know me, physical touch is way down my list. I have a decent sized personal bubble. So Mama T, she was feeling shut out. We did end up hugging it out. It was quite dramatic. She warned me all the time she was coming closer to me. I'm coming in. I'm coming in. <laughs> and so this last year, this is not in my notes, but this last year when we had some issues, it always, we talk it through and we get to the end, hey, we gotta hug it out. We gotta hug it out. So we talked words that ministered to me, and I hugged her, and she's like way up here. I had to get on a stool, and, you know. <laughs> no, I was just always on my tiptoes. So my calves, I tell you what, my calves are so strong. Oh, stop. <laughs> okay. So we were not speaking each other's languages and we were coming away feeling unloved and frustrated. We were both very good-hearted women. We were not intending to be hurtful to each other, but that's just the way it works out when we don't take the time and the energy to work through the process of reconciliation and, and communicating in a way that we come away understanding um, exactly what we were saying and, and what we wanted to say. E stands for examine your own heart. Don't take offense and hold grudges. Forgive. Typically, people who are easily, you know, this is just getting lower and lower. <laughs> so let's go on here. Um, over, are oversensitive about too many things. They seem to have a chip on their shoulders and are very quick to interpret even the most innocent comments as an offense. You look at our nation today, it is ridiculous. Anybody says anything and somebody's offended by it. We cannot have a logical dialogue anymore because people go off on their offended, their grudges, their prejudices, all those things, and, and there's no unity and no reconciliation going on. They become offended, not so much because of what was said or done to them, but because of inner personal struggles. If you find yourself easily upset with others, examine yourself to see if something is going on in your life 
to make you more irritable? Are you blaming others for offending you when in reality you wouldn't be upset if you had already dealt with certain hot button issues in your life? Ask God to help you get over these wounds, emotional scars, and insecurities so they're no longer driving a wedge between yourself and others. In living gospel, we forgive because we have been forgiven. A few months ago, my husband David was upset about some SSI stuff. Our youngest son, Josiah, has Down syndrome and he receives, did receive a supplemental income from the government. They claimed that we over, they overpaid us $4,000 over the last several years and that we needed to pay it back. It's bogus, by the way. It doesn't matter with them, though. I won't go into that here. <laughs> if, if, they're, if they're wrong, we're wrong. If we're wrong, we're wrong. It, we're wrong, no matter what. Anyway, I wasn't going to go into that, sorry. Anyway, my husband was storing around the house and really responding to any question I had about it. And being the super spiritual woman I am, I challenged him with, God is in control, which was not well received. <laughs> Later, then I became upset with Josiah for, for taking my hanging clothes and dumping them on the closet floor rather than putting them on my bed instead of picking up his own stuff in his room that I'd asked him to deal with. So I angrily expressed my frustration to him. Later on, Dave came up to where Josiah and I were, and he sat down next to me and he asked for forgiveness. And I have never really felt this before, but it was immediately I felt almost a physical compulsion that I needed to ask forgiveness of Josiah. Because it wasn't really Josiah, it was that my husband was upset with me, and so then I was upset, and so then I just kept passing it on, and we just kept uh, cycling it through. But I was empowered to act out of love because I had been loved. I wanted to forgive because I had been forgiven. I was compelled by the grace given to me to extend grace. We should always be striving to reconcile relationships as God is always reconciling himself to us. Beware of developing a hard and callous heart that does not forgive. Guard against the onslaught of Satan's fiery darts. Satan is always trying to drive a wedge between us and others. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Mama T had a lot of great ideas. Some of them I've shared. I have many more I could share with you. Um, if you got the time later on, just stop me and I'll come up with something. Um, and she had all these great ideas and techniques. And some of them, actually, I am going to continue to use. They are brilliant. Um, and she was willing to pass those on to me. I eventually became a willing learner. I'd like to focus for a few minutes on older, younger women and how we do not take advantage of the great knowledge, experience, etc., that each has. Proverbs 4, 7, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And Titus 2, 3 through 4 says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. At any given point in your life, you are younger than someone 
and older than someone, well, I don't have it all together. Frankly, if you do, you're freakishly weird. And, <laughs> and you would frighten the real people among you. The younger women want to know words of wisdom that we have learned. And if we don't have any words of wisdom, why not? This last fall, I taught a women's Bible study in the evening, which was over about 8 p.m. Several of the older ladies started to say that it was too late for them to stay out. I tried to express to them the need for engagement between the generations, that whether they thought so or not, they had much to offer, if only to be able to say. I have followed Christ for X amount of years, and he has been faithful to me all this time. I can testify to that. The younger girls need to hear that. Life is a struggle. Life is difficult. And sometimes that's all we see. And even these older women, their life was difficult. Their life was a struggle. But they can stand here today and say, even through all of that, God has been faithful to me. Unfortunately, my 85-year-old mother-in-law was the only one who stayed the course. Older ladies, here's why I'm going to offend you, so don't be offended. <laughs> you are failing your responsibility to train the younger women about what is good and how we can love our husbands and children. I've heard so many times over the years, but I don't really know anything. We are back to inaction because of fear. These last few years, I'm creeping up into the older ladies category. I have walked with God for over 50 years. I don't know all the answers for life, but at the very least, I can quit pretending that I have it all together and be vulnerable about what God is doing in my life and help my younger sisters realize that doubts and frustrations and feeling like a failure are common to all of us. And Satan is the victor if we don't hold each other up against the lies of the devil. I have become more aware and willing to respond to the pleading look in the eyes of my younger sisters. I need to talk. I need some help. I challenge you to invite and invest. Invite them into your life. Invest yourself into them. It doesn't have to be a structured thing. My husband and I run a guest house for ministry families where they can stay for free. And as we were gearing up for the busy summer season, a young gal from my church offered to help me do some extra cleaning to get it ready. Nothing profound happened. We just chatted as we worked. Until a ways into our time together, she said, casually, I'm facing this situation. What do you think I should do? I was able to encourage her and pray for her and know her more intimately as she opened her heart to me. I was able to show her that you can take your mop bucket of water and dump it down the toilet, which causes the water to drain farther than normal and makes it easier to clean. She didn't know that. See, I know some things. <laughs> and to this day, we have a deeper connection because we spent time together, shoulder to shoulder, doing some things together, which then gave her the initiative to start talking about more personal and intimate things. We're just in too much of a hurry. We're just busy, 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 and we don't take the time to invite and invest. I would challenge you younger ladies, ask the older ladies. They say no, keep asking. This is 
this is what I want from you. I just want to spend time with you. Um, you don't need to teach me anything. You don't need to, you know, don't scare them off. Um, but also, I say for the, the younger ladies, the older women need to ask you to, to, be, um, to be friends with them. We need to have more cross-generational relationships. The knowledge and experience speaks into the busy, cluttered lives of the young, and the energy and enthusiasm renews the tired and weary lives of the older. Now, this is not all that great, but um, I wrote these little things, and they aren't entirely finished, so if you come to the workshop tomorrow, it'll be much more polished, I'm sure. Now I'm loud. Anyway, I wrote this letter, Dear Younger Self, as you look around you with eyes that are bright with enthusiasm, with fresh ideas and passion for ministry, I want to warn you against the idea that you know everything. I'm telling you that you know practically nothing about life, about relationships, about how to come alongside people to minister. What things are really important in life are not what you might have guessed. If you could see yourself 30 years from now, you would be quick to judge that this future you is not slim and trim. She doesn't wear the latest styles. Her haircut is a few years ago. Style, not haircut. If you were to visit her home, you would see that she hasn't updated her decor for a few years, quite a few years. What you don't know is that you have learned over the years that it's not about the hair. It's about the heart. It's not about the clothes. It is about the character. It is not about the house. It is about the home. She has learned what really is important, that her worries and focus were tiring her out and wearing her down. There is no great joy in spending money on what she already knows does not give significance to her life. You would realize that the memories made and relationships forged are the things that bring joy to life's experience. She has much that she can teach you about the path she has walked with God. I wish I would have invited older women to speak into my life. Dear older self, as you look around with eyes dimmed by regrets, with no enthusiasm for trying new things, and a lack of passion for ministry, I would like to remind you, you still don't know everything. But there is so much you do know and maybe have forgotten. You know a lot about life, and relationships, and what is not important in life. But I'm thinking you need to remember what still is. If you could remember yourself 30 years ago, you would be quick to judge that this past self was too focused on how she looked and what she should wear, the latest hairstyle, or redecorating her house with every changing fad. What you don't remember is that you learned that friendship is a bond that got you through those times when life was difficult. And it's not so much ministry about the skill, but about the will. It's not so much about the hurt in your past, but about the healing. It's not so much about the sameness that we don't have, 
but it is about the similarities that we do have. I wish I would have invested in younger women by walking through life with them. Let's pray.